Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is the passage this morning before us. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 15. We're in the series through the first introductory chapters of 1 Corinthians called Divided Over Leaders. That's what this group was. That's what this church was, divided over leaders, and it led them to be considered immature or really infant-like, according to the Apostle Paul, as we'll see in this passage before us. So please follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 15. I'm going to pick up by reading the verse just before it, okay? They go together, they're connected. Uh, Notice what Paul says about the the fact that we have the mind of Christ, and then let's lead into our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that survives has built on the foundation, sorry, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. If if you and I are honest today, and it's church, so we should be, okay? If you and I are honest today, sometimes when a child gets angry, it's kind of cute. Clench their fists, stomp their feet, furrow their brow, grit their teeth. I don't know if you've ever seen a child do that and kind of have to, have to look away because you don't want to see them smiling about it or see you, have them see you smile about it. It can be kind of cute sometimes. Unless that child's 35 years old. <laughs> when 35-year-olds throw a childish fit, it's never, ever cute or adorable. It's rather sad and pathetic. I've entitled this message, Instructions for Big Babies. (laughs) You should know I try to fit my titles according to the main point of the passage, and that's the point of the passage. Paul's instructing a group of Christians, a group of Christians that God loves, a group of Christians that God is in the process of sanctifying, a group of Christians that chapter 1 says he will make stand guiltless one day before him in judgment, but who are right now being big babies. The Corinthian Christians needed to live as the spiritual people that they were. They needed to live up to who they were. God had made them special, brought them into his family, and Paul's calling on them to operate that way. Their jealousy and quarreling, especially over their leaders, shows They've been spiritual infants in Christ. They are currently spiritual infants in Christ at this point in Paul's writing to them. So Paul's going to teach them a couple of lessons about how to grow up. And so this morning we have three points. The first point is the problem kind of laid out. And then the second two points are going to be the two solutions, what they needed to understand. So first, the problem, and it's this, self-centered spirituality. Self-centered spirituality. 
To be immature or an infant is to be self-centered. You know that children grow up fighting over the toys, wanting their way. That's That's a childish thing. And sometimes people bought by the blood of Christ, loved by God the Father, saved, promised glory with Him in heaven, sometimes we can do the same types of things. I want my way. I don't like your way, and we'll fight over it and divide over it. That's where the Christians in Corinth were. The Corinthians were clearly fighting for their own preferences when it came to the discussion about how the ministry there in Corinth would be run. I want Paul. I don't like Paul. I like Apollos. And there was division in that church. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, but the, the adversative, the, the, the different than what he just said. We have the mind of Christ. But I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now again, in chapter 2, verse 6, he said, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So he called the church mature to a certain degree. They're mature compared to the rest of the world and the world's wisdom. The Corinthians were mature compared to the rest of the world. But in terms of being spiritual and loving one another and following the way of Christ, they weren't. I can't address you as spiritual people. You're not evidencing the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, that's the opposite of spiritual people, as people of the flesh, you're living like the world lives, you're fighting like the world fights, and then he takes a step further and he calls them babies, as infants. They weren't living as people who had the Holy Spirit in them. Now they did, but they weren't walking in the Spirit, as Paul later writes to a different church. Just because we have the Holy Spirit in us doesn't mean we're always walking according to the Spirit. In fact, Paul also gives a command and he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This power of God is in you to make you like Christ. And so when you walk according to the flesh, that's grievous to the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a strong statement. He calls them babies. I heard one pastor who is teaching through 1 Corinthians ask his church, would you go to Paul's church? And he he surmised that everybody would say, oh, I'd love to go to the Apostle Paul's church until one day he stands up and calls you a bunch of babies. This is straight talk from the Apostle. This is kind of in-your-face talk from the Apostle, and it doesn't always sit well with today's culture, does it? Even church culture. How dare you call me an infant? But the Holy Spirit calls this church in Corinth infants, and it's important for us to understand why Listen, let me say this. Spiritual immaturity in and of itself is not a sin. Being a new believer and learning the way of Christ is not a sin in and of itself. You're in the process of learning. You grow. But being a spiritual infant when you shouldn't be, when you should be past that stage, is a problem. So spiritual maturity in and of itself is not necessarily sinful, but they were acting in a childish way contrary to all that they'd been given. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Sometimes, and it's because of a similar passage in Hebrews, sometimes we think that um, that whole milk and meat description that Paul is using is referring to those who know basic doctrinal truths and those who know the meat, the, the real theology. So some Christians are reading the Jesus Storybook Bible and kind of learning from that at a kind of childlike level. And then some Christians, you know, they show up with their giant systematic theology, and that's what they're reading. Milk and meat. That's not exactly what Paul's saying here, okay? And and here's one way we know this. Um, I think most Christians would rather be in a community of believers who trust in Jesus, who are learning from Jesus, and don't know a lot other than the basics of the gospel, but love each other well, 
share the gospel faithfully, are humble with one another than being in a group that I aced my systematic theology exam. Being in a group of people like that who tear and destroy each other all throughout their week. I think you'd rather be in the first group. So it's not that spiritual maturity just is connected to more knowledge. That's very important for you as we understand 1 Corinthians. These people had a certain knowledge and they weren't using it well. As a matter of fact, they needed a lesson on how to love one another, and that comes later in chapter 13. So it's not that greater spiritual knowledge makes one mature. James, the Lord's brother, said it's not the hearer of the word that is blessed, it's the doer of the word. Do you appropriate Take in and respond to and live obediently based on what you know. So when someone says, yeah, I, I, I again, got straight A's in seminary or my theology class, or I know that systematic theology backwards and forwards, that says nothing about their spiritual condition. We need more information. What do you do with that information? How do you live according to what you understand? This was about how they were living in response to the new life they had in Christ. And they were living like worldly people, not like children of God. They could not progress spiritually because they were so focused on their own desires. They, they had created these groups that were angling for their way of how the church should operate. And so you could not call them mature. They had this great truth. You've been saved. You've been set apart. You're different from the world. God loves you. He's formed you as a family. His spirit is in you. He means you to be a lighthouse to the rest of the world. That's a great thing. And that should make you mature. But you're acting like babies and we can't keep advancing if you can't get past thinking of only yourself. Remember the way of Jesus is to die to self to not always have your way, to not always have what you want. The way of Jesus is suffering, is, again, dying to yourself, being selfless, and these people weren't that. That's why they were immature. Verse 4, and here's the example, and he's brought this up again. He brought it up in chapter 1. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? That's not a, that's not a commendation. Are you not being merely human, like like your old way of life, living in the flesh. You're not, you're not living like a child of God. You're living in, the, in your kind of original state as just a natural man and woman. As you take sides, you look like the world. Their selfish preferences were clearly over their favorite spiritual leaders. We've talked about this before as it came up earlier in the letter. Now, I want you to imagine that uh, you're in a small group Bible study. Okay, you're in a small group Bible study and you're getting a new teacher that's part of that study. You find out uh, via email, hey, we got a new teacher coming uh, to teach this small group Bible study. His name is Apollos. I don't know why. I always think of Apollos as like this ripped, you know, giant man, you know, handsome. Uh, okay, Apollos comes and he's the new small group Bibles teacher, and some of the people in the group have heard Apollos teach before, and oh, they are so excited about this. They show up, and there's, so there's a group of maybe 12 people in the living room. Apollos shows up, and you've got some people like, yes, I love this guy. Apollos is here. They've got their Bibles and their notebooks and highlighters, and they're just, feed me, teach me, Apollos. They're ready to learn. But then there's some people in the Bible study. They're kind of over sitting over together, and Apollos comes in, and they're kind of like this. Notebooks are still closed. They didn't bring a highlighter. Just kind of looking at Apollos like, what do you got for me today? The reason they miss Paul. They miss their previous small group leader. And so they kind of just sit back with this posture, not just physically, but their heart sits back like this. As Apollos teaches them about Christ, that's no longer the issue for them. Apollos is the issue. And in the first group, the group that loves Apollos, it's not even about what they're learning. It's just Apollos is the main focus. Later on in the week, those two groups kind of get together, you know, smaller groups, maybe a group of the Apollos lovers are hiking together and a small group Bible study comes up from a few nights earlier and, and guess what they talk about for 30 minutes as they're hiking? 
Apollos is wonderful. I love Apollos. Apollos is so great. I love how he does this better than Paul. It's just, I didn't like the way Paul did that. I love Apollos. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, at a coffee shop, the Paul people, you know, someone says, oh, I missed Bible study. How was Bible study? (sighs) We miss Paul. He just, I mean, he was who we, you know, who, who brought the gospel to us when we were saved. We miss Paul, this new guy. I don't know. How can you be that muscular and Christian? I've, I don't know. But notice the content of Apollos' teaching and the God who authored it and the greatness of his gospel are not the discussion. It's all about who's my favorite, who don't I like, comparing Apollos to Paul, Paul to Apollos. Again, if the next week that small group Bible study comes together again and someone hands them a 100-question theology exam and they answer every single group, every single one in that group, all 12 members of that small group Bible study, get an A. Everyone gets 100 out of 100. That does not mean that group is mature. In fact, in many ways, that group is pathetic, childish, missing the point, missing the goodness of God in Paul's ministry, missing the goodness of God in Apollos' ministry. It's not, an immature, it's not a mature response. It's rather childish. So let me ask, friends, is there any way that you are engaged in rivalry over spiritual leaders today? Answer that on your own. Please take that to heart. Please listen. Do you criticize people doing God's work just because you prefer it done another way or by another person? Do you criticize God's work because you want it done another way or by a different person. And then I want you to consider this. Please think about the damage that this does to a group of believers and the glory that it steals from God. Please think about those things. I want you to turn just for clarification purposes to Galatians 5. This is Because Paul speaks of spiritual people and those who are not operating spiritually, I want to remind us of his teaching to the Galatians where he talks about those two dynamics. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. And again, please read, listen, consider, be open to the Lord's spiritual work in your heart. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. He's talking to Christians there. So evidently, Paul thinks that when Christians are saved, they get the Holy Spirit. That's true. The apostles taught that. But Paul thinks it's important that the Christians in Galatia and even here in Corinth are commanded to now now do something with that. Walk according to that. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There's a war here. Even in church, there's a war when you have selfish desires and spiritual desires. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There's a a freedom in being led by the Spirit that is so good. Now the works of the flesh, he's going to show us what those are, are evident. Now for our purposes here, There are sexual sins and then there are interpersonal sins here, relational sins. Because the Corinthians had relational problems, they had sexual problems too. We'll get to that later in the book. But but notice the the, the, the deeds of the flesh that are, they kind of turn people into little soldiers against one another, having these battles with each other. Notice, the works of the flesh are evident. Verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is your way of life, you do these things in an unrepentant fashion, be careful. Those do not enter the kingdom of God, inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Christians make peace with one another. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It's important for Christians to realize just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you always operate that way. It actually takes active measures to say, you know what, this is, I want my way, I want this, and I'm tempted to mistreat other people. I need to crucify that desire I have. That is not the way of Jesus. I'm not going to engage in rivalries and divisions and fighting and strife and enmity and jealousy because I want my way. That's a Christian response. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Back to 1 Corinthians 3. The Corinthians are not as mature as they thought. They're not as mature as they should be. Rivalries based on their selfish ministry preferences kept them as adult infants, if you will. But there's a solution. Paul gives them this rebuke, there's this problem, but then point number two, there's, here's the first solution, okay? First solution found in verses five through nine. Understand that spiritual leaders are servants together. Understand that spiritual leaders are servants together. Paul and Apollos in verse 8 are said to be, by Paul, are said to be one. Paul and Apollos are doing the same thing. They're servants. And God is the one who deserves the credit for their work. Notice the servanthood of Paul and Apollos and the fact that God is the boss of them, if you will, in verse 5. What then is Paul, or what then is Apollos, what then is Paul? What are they? What am I? What is Apollos? What are we? Answer, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So the Lord, Jesus, the master, assigned Paul a certain ministry. And when he preached the gospel, carried out his ministry, some people were saved. So they were saved through the ministry of Paul, saved to Christ by the fact that Paul was the spokesperson of that gospel. And the Lord assigned Apollos a ministry too. Apollos was to preach the gospel, like Paul, running parallel here. And people responded to the gospel as Apollos preached it. So, so Paul and Apollos are doing the same things. They're both servants, and the Lord assigned them their task. The Lord is the boss. Apollos is one worker. Paul is the other worker. Do this, Paul. Do this, Apollos. And they happen to do the same things. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. And people were saved as they proclaimed the gospel. So the church at Corinth sees differences in Paul and Apollos. Paul is trying to show them the similarities between Paul and Apollos. God's our boss. We both had the same ministry. Some of you were saved by me. Some of you were saved by Apollos in terms of us speaking the word. We're the same. And God assigned the work to us. Now, when the Christians at Corinth criticized Paul, those who loved Apollos, or when the Christians at Corinth criticized Apollos, those who loved Paul, as they criticized them and prefer one over the other, who really are they criticizing? God. God gave this ministry to Paul. God gave this ministry to Apollos, had them carry it out. They both did carry it out faithfully, and people are picking at Paul, picking at Apollos. That's a criticism of the boss. It's a criticism of God. Notice verse 6. Notice their work. Paul says, I planted. So there's this field. Paul planted these seeds, and Apollos watered them. 
that, that chronology is important because we know from Acts 18, Paul planted the church, if you will. He was their first pastor. He preached the gospel. People were saved. They grouped together, formed a church. Paul was their first pastor, if you will. And then he left and Apollos came and became the new pastor, the new leader of that church. So Paul saying, I planted, Apollos watered. We both had work to do, but God gave the growth The fact that the Corinthians were saved and growing in the knowledge of God isn't to the credit of Paul. It's not to the credit of Apollos. It's to the credit of of God. God gave the growth. Life is in his hands. Paul says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. You are thinking too highly of both of us, church. I just did work and planted, Apollos watered. And the only reason those things were successful is because God gave power there. God gave the growth. You were thinking too highly of us. Continuing in verse, or sorry, to verse eight. I love this, the unity of Paul and Apollos. This is Paul speaking. He who plants, me, Paul speaking, he who plants and he who waters are one. We're in this together. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Don't you love the refusal to be brought into the competition by Paul? You know, most today, or I shouldn't say most, many today might say, might might really like it when people say, oh, we just love your teaching so much better than Apollos's. You might think, yes. Now, you wouldn't say that, You wouldn't do that out loud, but yeah, I love being the guy that they love, even to the exclusion of that guy. Paul refuses to get brought into that. Apollos and I, were one. We're together. Verse eight, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. God will reward us in due time. He's the one that will take care of that. Right now, we're just working together. We're working together. I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians 16. Go to the back of the book. This is so good. 1 Corinthians 16, you know, it's the end of one of Paul's epistles. It's just a bunch of greetings and say hi to this person. Uh, big deal, it's not important. Oh, it's important, okay? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12. So remember, Paul's away from the Corinthians. He's writing them a letter. He's not there anymore. And Apollos isn't there at the time they received the letter either. Okay, 1612. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has the opportunity. You see this? The Corinthians are fighting over which leader they like better. Paul knows all about it. He knows some like him better, some like Apollos better, and he tells the Corinthians, I told Apollos, go back and keep teaching them. Apollos taught them, he left, and Paul said, go back. Go back and instruct them. And Apollos said, not the time yet. I've got other things that the Lord has me doing here. But you see the humility of Paul there? He doesn't say, well, if Apollos goes back, they're really going to like him a lot better than me, so I'll send Timothy. I'll send someone else. But Paul wants Apollos to go back. Paul doesn't care about getting the credit. He cares about the people of God being matured and being helped. And he thinks, in his mind, he he thought Apollos would be a good fit to go back and teach the people. It wasn't God's plan at that point, but you appreciate the humility of Paul there, don't you? He refused to get brought into the side-taking, the rivalries, the parties. Back to 1 Corinthians 3. Paul wraps up this paragraph saying, We, for we are God's fellow workers. Apollos and I are both doing work. You are God's field, God's building. He gives two pictures for the church. You're a field, Corinthian church. You're a local church that are God's field. You're a field, and Apollos and I are just two of the workers in that field. No, no, you're a building. Imagine God's constructing a building. What a privilege to be God's building. You're a building. God's constructing this building, and I'm doing some work on it, and Apollos is doing some work on it. We're together in that. We are both working for you, as our boss, God, has told us to do. 
This is encouraging to me, the fact that he ends this paragraph with this statement. We're fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Right there, a lot of, it, it, again, it's, it's the thing to do today to kind of snicker when we talk about the Corinthian church. Who would name their church first Corinthian church of whatever? Who would name their church Corinthian Bible church? Ah, ha, ha, ha. These people were so immature, such, they're so filled with sin. And Paul says, you are God's field. God's working. God has people in this field who are working to help this field produce fruit. And he says, you're God's building. The building's being built. A lot of people look at churches and the faults of churches and they kind of treat them as if you should be a full-blown skyscraper by now with no problems at all. Well, that's just not what local churches are. They're buildings where maybe one, the elevator doesn't work, uh, the windows are dirty, the, the carpet smells. Work is being done. By God's grace, day by day, there's more improvement and these buildings look better. That's a local church. And as I've told you before, no local church has arrived. Not one. But even the Corinthian church, I asked a question earlier, kind of referring to you to a question that a pastor asked his congregation. Would you go to Paul's church? And thinking that maybe everyone would say yes, but actually very few might. Well, no, he calls me babies. I'm not going there. I'll go somewhere else. But let me ask you this question. Would you leave the Corinthian church? Knowing all their problems. <laughs> they don't do church discipline there. They are so much arguing and fighting. There's a lack of love. I'm out of here. God at this point hasn't left the Corinthian church. They are his field. He has workers in that field. They are his building. He has workers in that building. And if you did leave the Corinthian church, where would you go that was perfect? They all got issues. But I, I love this as a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> I love this as an imperfect elder. I love this as a man of God who still has to fight sin, still isn't in heaven. These precious people are still God's field and they're still his building. He's still working in them. This will be very encouraging in the next paragraph. We, well, I shouldn't say that. The next paragraph we're gonna go through today Wait till next week. It's even more encouraging. And there's a warning for people who try to tamper with God's precious local churches. Again, I'm getting ahead of my skis. We'll get to that next week, okay? But these people are still precious to God. Acting like babies, absolutely. But when your child acts like a baby and they're 18, they're still your child. You still love them. You still want them to mature and grow and you're still as committed to them as you ever have been. They're still your child. But understand, Corinthians, understand Canyon Bible Church of Prescott, the gospel workers are just servants together. They're in it together. Apollos is working, Paul's working. Imagine if you and your extended family, the times were tough, you could, you could barely afford food. Maybe you went without meals. So you and your extended family, you've got 10 people that live with you and and sometimes you miss meals because you don't have enough resources. And sometimes your kids don't have the shoes they need or whatever it may be. Imagine just being in that situation. And then imagine this world-class chef says, listen, all 10 of you are going to eat at my restaurant for the rest of your life. I'm going to feed you the best food. I'm going to feed you everything you need. You will never lack again. I want you to come and do and dine with me all the time. And so you, you're so grateful. You come and you, how in the world did we get here? And we get to eat lobster today and steak yesterday. Oh my goodness, this guy is amazing. This is so wonderful. And over time, you notice that the people bringing you the food, they, they're different. And some of you like the person who brings the food and kind of stacks all the plates on one arm. I still don't know how they do that. They stack all the plates on one arm and, and they kind of lay them on the table and oh, 
she's so wonderful. We love her as our server. And the other server kind of maybe trips sometimes and maybe has spilt some things on you before, and, uh, but still brings the food and largely does a great work. And as you're there eating in the days and weeks and months and years, you're less amazed at what the chef did for you and is still doing for you. And you just, you get to the restaurant each night and you get really mad when the other server is assigned to your table, but others at your table love that server. They don't like the other one. And you just fight about, why do we have her again? Why do we have him? I want, and that's what you do. You're forgetting the generosity of the chef. You're not understanding the place of the servers. You're forgetting where you came from and where you get to be right now. I don't think I need to make the connection. God is the one who is gracious, powerfully saves us, and appoints human, even fallen leaders to help shepherd and guide us, and they are just servants of His. He's the main focus. So by way of application, don't exalt your leaders to a higher place than they should have. They're just servants. Your favorite YouTube preacher, your favorite elder, your favorite church author, whatever it may be, your favorite person you've learned from is just a servant. They're just a servant. Learn from them, submit to them. Those are biblical concepts. But recognize they're simply servants. I had a good friend of mine, sweet guy. Um, we were interacting on social media and there was this graphic, this image of all of these um, theologians and pastors, some from hundreds of years ago, some from today, and they were grouped into groups of like three or five or something like that, I think it was five. They were grouped into groups of five. And it was a social media question, which group would you want to be in? Which group would you want to, wh whose church would you want to be in? Something like that. Who would you want to learn from? Which group? So this theologian from 2000 or 200 years ago and this current pastor and they're in a group with three others and then they're in a group and, and, uh, and someone asked me, I can't remember how it happened, which group would you want to be in? And I, I hope I wasn't a jerk or anything. I just said, I just think this stuff is weird. Th this, I'm not going to pick one. These, these are just people. Jesus Christ is the focus. The, the, some of these people have died and the rest will die. But he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the focus. It's just weird to be in this current celebrity pastor culture. We're just servants. I think it's good for God's people. I, I know it's good for, God's, good for God's people to know that because it's actually here in this passage. They're just servants. So it's important for us to see that. There's one more lesson Paul wants this church to see, verses 10 to 15. Another solution to maybe help mature them. Understand that spiritual leaders will be evaluated by God. Spiritual leaders will be evaluated by God. What were these Corinthians doing? They were evaluating their spiritual leaders. They were sitting in judgment as to which one was better, who do we like more. And Paul's saying, listen, there is an evaluator, and it ain't you. It's God, okay? Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So Paul is the skilled master builder. Where does he get this skill from? See it in the first words of the verse there, according to the grace of God. God's grace gave Paul certain abilities, whatever leadership abilities he had, whatever speaking abilities he had, whatever mind he had, it was all from the grace of God, all because of the grace of God. And so Paul's saying, as a skilled master builder, I mean, he, he did do this well. As a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation someone else is building upon it. I, I'm the one that kind of laid this foundation. It was the foundation of Jesus Christ. I taught these Corinthians. Some of them were previously Jewish. Some of them are Gentiles. I taught them who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. And he came so that you would have a relationship with God the Father through him. I came and laid that foundation here in Corinth. And someone else is building upon it. And Paul's not saying, I don't like the guy who's building upon it. We've already seen Paul. Commend Apollos. 
appreciate Apollos' work. But Paul's saying, I laid the foundation. I was kind of the first to, to be here, and now someone else is building upon it. Continuing in verse 10, let each one care how he builds upon it. So there will be people that come after us that build on that gospel foundation, and they've got to take care to build on the foundation of Jesus. So Christian ministry is based on what God's Word says, what Jesus has done in His work to save sinners, and how Jesus gives commands so that they would be matured and grow. And any ministry that is different than that main focus is a bad ministry. So take care. Everyone needs to take care how they build on it, but evidently Apollos was building on it well. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You, you can't build a ministry on your own self. You build it on Christ. You're not the focus. He is. You don't build it on some different gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so he's going to then get in in verse 12 about how people build on that foundation. And sometimes leaders build with good things, and sometimes they don't. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those three things have something in common. They're valuable. They're good. And the next three have something in common. Or wood, hay, and straw. You get the kind of difference between the two groups, right? If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, so, so you're doing gospel ministry in a right way, on the right foundation, Jesus Christ, speaking his word, it's good ministry. The other ministry is, is not good ministry. Maybe it's self-centered. Maybe it's for your own glory and not for God's or whatever it may be. That's like the wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become manifest. One day, it'll all be clear as to what was good and what was not good in that ministry. Sometimes leaders serve, whether that's Bible study leader, youth ministry leader, elder, Christian, trying to help another Christian. We're all workers. That, that'll be clear later on in 1 Corinthians also. We're all workers. So sometimes our work for the Lord is good work. We asked Him to bless it. We spent time in prayer. We, we sought to be faithful to the Word. We sought to love and represent Him well to one another. It was good work. It's like building with gold, silver, or precious stones. And sometimes we do ministry for our own credit so people would see us. That's us building with wood, hay, and straw. Sometimes we represent Christ well in even how we interact with the people, in our, our posture toward them, in the tone of voice. We are, we're very Christ-like in how we treat people. That, that is gold, silver, precious stones. And sometimes we misrepresent God, even in how we talk to people. That's wood, hay, straw. My point is, sometimes we're building with good things. Sometimes we're not. So, realize that each one's work will become manifest. It doesn't say we all know everyone's good stones and gold and, and their wood, hay, and straw. We all know. That'll be clear in the end, and God will be the one that deals with that. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D. There's a day coming that will disclose it because each one will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So this fire of God's judgment, this is not hell, okay? This is not a judgment to hell. We'll talk about that in a moment. This is a judgment evaluating our works done in his name, and some of the things that we did will be burned away. Those were not done well. And some of the things will last. Look, that survived the fire. That was real. That was lasting. That was eternal. Verse 14, if the work anyone has, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there's this picture. The, the 
our works before the Lord, our works that we've done in His name as workers for His kingdom. We're the only ones that can be workers for His kingdom. We're the ones set apart, sanctified by Him. Okay, as workers for Him, the things that we do, the fire of His judgment comes through and some things go away. You did that for your glory. You did that and that wasn't an accurate depiction of what my word teaches. Those are gone away. But these things the way you forgave that person and endured and committed to them or the way you taught that passage faithfully for my glory, that stays and that lasts. And it says that that person will receive a reward. There's some level of eternal rewards. Now, right now you want to know, what are the rewards? I don't know. I don't know. It could be certain jobs or things that we do Later in 1 Corinthians 5, we'll say that we're the ones who will one day rule angels. It could be related to responsibilities we have in heaven. I don't know what the rewards will be. The Bible doesn't speak to that. But the Bible does say those good works will be rewarded. And evidently the Spirit wants us to be motivated by that. See, sometimes today we can, we can out-theologize the Bible. Well, I'm going to heaven big deal what kind of reward I have. I'm going to be happy being there. Don't say that. The Bible means to motivate you by rewards. So let the Holy Spirit have his way and let's take him at his word and think that's something that should motivate me. Not in a way where I compete sinfully with others, but in a way that I just want to be faithful with what he gives me. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to use my mind how he wants me to use it. I want to use my mouth and my hands and I want to I just I want to be used for his glory if anyone's if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he'll receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he'll suffer loss what's the loss the lack of reward this isn't you'll suffer loss and go to hell he makes that very clear though he himself will be saved this is not that you go to hell if your works done in God's name aren't as good but but you will suffer a loss you don't have the reward that you could have had He'll be saved, but only as through fire. There will be the fire of judgment that comes. The imperfections will be burned off by the fire, and what's lasting and good will remain. So gospel work will be rewarded by God. Gospel work is not to be rewarded by popular opinion. It does not matter what anyone thinks of my work. I stand before God. And if he thinks I need to be corrected or rebuked, then he does that. And he will one day disclose the reward and what could go away and what lasted. He's the one that is the one that he's the one that pays the workers. And he'll pay whatever he believes is best. So this is this is telling the Corinthians, listen, you don't need to take the place of God as the judge of Apollos and Paul. Let God deal with that in his time. And he will deal with that in his time. So, I would encourage you to refrain from making judgments that are reserved for God. Refrain from making judgments that are reserved for God. And I'll remind you, Paul and Apollos, it's not that one had good theology and one had bad theology and we're saying, oh, just don't judge them. God God will take care of that. No, these men were both sound, both working in God's kingdom, both preaching the gospel, both doing good gospel ministry on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They are both faithful men. You don't judge between them. God will take care of that. Okay? Second application. Consider your work in the gospel. You don't have to turn there. I've had you turn a few places. But listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Toward the end of the letter, he says this to all of the Corinthians, not just to the leaders in the church. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And in the back of our heads, we have 1 Corinthians 3 ringing, because he will reward you for your labor that you do. He'll reward you. But notice he calls the Christians, those who are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. So in 1 Corinthians 3, we're looking at God's leaders as they work for the Lord, but the principle is still true of all Christians. All Christians are called workers of the Lord. Read the end of Romans 16 
and all of those Christians that are working for the Lord, working for the Lord, men, women, working for the Lord, all Christians are to consider their work for the Lord. I think of this C.T. Studd quote, this famous cricket player in England. He was at Cambridge. He was famous in England for his ability in athletics. And he went to a meeting at the Corn Exchange, which is still standing, awesome building, where D.L. Moody came. Moody came and all these students mocked D.L. Moody. He's this American, kind of uneducated. He's not like one of us, fancy Brits. D.L. Moody came, preached the gospel, and people started throwing things and causing a, a ruckus. But by the end of the week, by the end of Moody's preaching, people had been converted and people were listening to the gospel preached by D.L. Moody. Among them were a group of students at Cambridge, C.T. Studd being at one of the colleges there. And he heard about the fact that there are people in China who've never heard of Jesus Christ, and he determined to give his cricket career up, his fame up, and to sail to China to bring the gospel to the people there. And C.T. Studd famously said, only one life. It will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. You imagine that cricket bat of his being just in the fire, wiped away, but the ministry he did in China being something lasting and enduring. And he, he got that. He understood that. That's good for all of us to realize. What are our days like? What are our weeks like? What are our moments like? Are these moments being used to, to build on the foundation of Christ or are they just something else that another human could do who doesn't know Christ? What are we doing? This is not a call for everyone to go in full-time pastoral ministry either. This is just a call to be faithful with where you're at, to work for the kingdom of God where you're at. Mom, dad, husband, wife, college student, junior high student, whoever you may be. And God will reward in his time. But in summary, this church needed to be corrected so they would start operating spiritually because they had the Holy Spirit in them. How they viewed their leaders would make them more spiritual if they viewed them rightly, and Paul writes for them to know that. So they're to understand their leaders were merely servants, and they're to understand their leaders would be evaluated by God. Let's pray. Father, unless you build a local church, a home, a spiritual house, we labor in vain. So we trust you to sanctify us, sanctify this church, teach us what we need to understand. And unlike the Corinthians, I pray that we would respond to what your word says, that we would walk in the spirit, walk according to what you teach us in your word. Father, thank you for doing that in our midst for seven and a half years. You've taught us, we've responded, we've fought the flesh, sought to be a spiritual people, and we still have a long way to go. So thank you that your promises to make a stand one day before you guiltless in judgment, that, that's a promise that we take to the bank. We love the security of that as we continue to grow. We want to represent you well. We pray that you would honor that request, answer that prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.